Amen. Thank you so much for having me. I come with love and greetings from all of my family and also all from Grace City Church. We're sorry we can all be with you today, but everybody sends their love um, and is excited that I get to be here with you. So you've been looking at a series of being devoted to one another, devoted to God, and you've looked at many things that we're devoted to as believers, and you've been pulling them out of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And Andrew asked me to come and speak about being devoted to life in the Spirit today. And so I wanted to kind of take a step back from the scripture you've been reading, and we're going to read from some bits from Acts chapter 1 and some bits from Acts chapter 2 and kind of look at what got the disciples to this place where they were living this incredible life of love and fellowship together. So I am doing a bit of a whistle-stop tour through Acts 1 and 2. So the scriptures will be coming up on the screen and I've labeled them with the verses so you can see where they are. If you've got a Bible and want to turn to Acts 1 and 2 so you can follow please do. And as I'm reading the scripture out, I'd love you to be having a little think and um, have a look in the scripture and have a listen to the Spirit, specifically with the questions of who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? So as I'm reading and you're listening, just be holding those questions in your mind. Who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? Because I think you'll find some answers to those questions as we go through. So we're starting in Acts 1. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers." And then we go to Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, 
This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And now we get to a very familiar passage for you guys. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we started with these two questions at the beginning of this passage. Feels hard to bring a preach after that preach, but I'm gonna do my best. <laughs> the two questions we began with were, who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? So we're just gonna spend a few minutes discussing that amongst ourselves. Turn to the people around you. If you're at home on your own, just grab a pen and paper and write down your thoughts and share them with somebody later. But just ask those two questions. Who is the Holy Spirit according to this passage? Don't bring in all your knowledge of everything you know about the Bible, but just from what we've read today, who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? Okay, go for it.
Okay, just draw your conversations to a close. Finish your sentences. <laughs> Anyone feeling brave? Want to shout out anything that jumped out to you from the passage of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does? He's a gift from the Father. Thanks, Ray. He doesn't discriminate. He empowers everyone. I'm just repeating it so everyone at home can hear you as well. He empowers everyone. What was the last one? It doesn't matter whether you're a slave or you're free, whether you're male or female. Yeah, slave, free, male, female. The Holy Spirit empowers everyone. Fantastic. He's a conduit of God's power. Yeah. Yeah. Poured out by Jesus. Yeah. So he's sending power from heaven to us, isn't he? He makes us into witnesses. Yes. He makes us look drunk. (laughs) I'm glad you pointed that one out. I think that's important to remember. Okay, thank you. You've saved me some hard work and you've just done it all for me. Thank you very much. So we've had a thing together and hopefully you've got a clearer idea from looking at this passage together, who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. So we're going to spend the rest of our time together looking at what we learn from the disciples about how we can receive the Holy Spirit. And as I've been preparing to bring this talk, I've been reading a really great book called Spirit Walk by Steve Smith. And if this is a topic that you're interested in and want to pursue further, I can highly recommend that book. Come and find me after and I'll remind you what it was called. Um, And a question that he asks in this book, he asks a simple question, am I full of the Spirit right now? And this question I found really helpful in the last few weeks as I've been thinking and mulling and praying about the Holy Spirit because we can think about past experiences of being filled with the Spirit, we can think about our longing to be filled with the Spirit, but what a beautiful, simple question. Am I full of the Spirit right now? And if our answer to that is no, or I'm not sure, or I'd like to be more full, then let's have a look together at this passage and see how, what can we learn about how we can be full of the Spirit right now, every moment of every day. So we're going to look at three simple ideas of surrender, repent, and respond. So surrender is where we begin. And when we see the disciples at the beginning of uh, chapter 2, verse 1, we see that they are all together in one room. They've been praying together. They've spent all of their time together. It looks like they've literally given up everything else in the pursuit of just obeying Jesus and waiting for whatever it is that he's promised is going to happen next. We saw at the start, didn't we, Jesus told them where to go, and he simply told them, wait. And that is all they have done. They've waited together, and they've prayed together. It seems like they've probably spent quite a lot of time reading God's word together, because when Peter stands up, he's quoting scripture off by heart. So they've probably been praying, searching the scriptures together, looking to see what does it say about this promised Holy Spirit that's coming. Nobody there is following their own agenda. They've come together as a people to wait. 
And something I felt challenged about as I've been preparing for this talk is just how much time I spend praying and waiting with other believers. The Holy Spirit in this story comes to everybody as a people and something happens when they're gathered together. And so as we surrender to God, it's really important to spend time in prayer, not just on our own, but with one another, asking and waiting and praying for him to come. When we look in the scriptures to see what God's word says about the spirit being in us and living in us, we see words like the spirit dwelling in us, the spirit filling us. We see about us being in Jesus and him being in us. There's a sense of us as a people being filled completely with something. If you think about like a house, think of your body as a house and you imagine the spirit coming in is he allowed into every room of your house? Or are there places or things that you keep back and withhold from him? It could be parts of ourselves, like our thoughts or our actions, or it could be parts of our life, like our finances or our family, that we struggle to surrender to him. But the disciples in this story, we see they've just given up everything else. And God will come and fill us when we realize that we need him more than anything else. I was sat behind um, Charlie, and she'd written on the top of her notebook, I'm hungry. We're hungry when we're empty, and sometimes we have to empty ourselves of other things in order for God to come and fill us. We have to lay down our own agenda and take up his. And so often I think when we're praying for the spirit to fill us, we can be praying prayers that are still focused on ourselves. What's your will for my life, God? What do you want me to do? But here we can see the disciples were looking at the bigger picture. They weren't saying, God, what's your will for me? They were just saying, God, what is your will? And what part do you have for me to play in that? And so often when, we, when it comes to surrender, it's actually about laying down what we perceive to be our will, our God coming into our life and doing what we want him to do and saying, God, just what is your will and what do you want me to do for, to, to be a part of that? There can be barriers to us surrendering everything that we have to God. The first barrier, and I think the biggest barrier that we can have to surrender is trusting God's goodness. Now, if I walked up to you today, imagine you owned a house, and I just walked up to you and I said, can I have the keys to your house, please? Your response to that would probably depend on a few things. If you've just met me today, you'd probably just say no. You can come for a cup of tea, but I'm not giving you my house keys. If you know me for a long time, but perhaps I'd let you down or hurt you in some way, and we had unresolved issues in our life, you might say, I'll give you the keys, but you're not allowed in that room there because you'd be thinking, oh, I wouldn't trust Lisa to go in that room. I'm not quite sure what she'd do there. If you've known me for a really long time, we've been through thick and thin together, we've hurt one another and repaired the hurt and loved one another and been through difficult situations, you'd probably give me your keys and say, yeah, do what you like. I don't mind. <laughs> you'd trust that I had the best for you at heart and that I wasn't going to do anything bad with your house and your keys. And I think our walk with God can be much like that. If we don't know about God's goodness, or if we've walked through situations where we felt hurt by him and we haven't resolved that hurt, then there'll be places in our hearts and lives that we'll struggle to let him into. 
And the good news is, is that those barriers can come down. We've sung this morning about strongholds being broken in the name of Jesus. If you're sat here thinking, yeah, I've got barriers. There's places I won't let God into. Just talk to a Christian friend about it. Pray it through with them. Read God's word because God's word talks about his goodness. Find verses in his word that speak about his goodness and keep praying them over yourself in that situation until you begin to see how he was good to you in that situation. He can take any of our barriers and bring them down, but he's not going to just come and bash them without our permission. We have to bring those things before him and let him in and trust that he is good. When we moved to Bradford, we moved our children from a school here in Farsley that was a really good school in the eyes of the world. It had a great Ofsted. And we moved them into a school that officially is the worst school in Bradford. It doesn't have a good reputation whatsoever. And for me, this was a really challenging move, taking my children from a place where they felt secure and I could trust that everybody would do a good job looking after them and putting them in a place that the world was telling me was not particularly, going to be particularly good for them and their education. But when we moved to Bradford, God had given me a scripture from Isaiah 54, and it says, your sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will be your children's peace. That was his promise to me, and I knew that he meant it. And he'd spoken to it, he confirmed it three or four times. And so I put my children in this school. It wasn't easy, but I trusted that God was good, and I could surrender my children and their education to him because he had good plans for their life and he has been so good to them in that place and done incredible things and provided through incredible miracles for them in that place. God is good, but in order to surrender everything, we have to know it and accept it. So we've talked about surrender, about giving our entire lives, everything we have to him. The other thing that comes up a lot in this passage that Peter tells people to do when they say, what should we do? He says, repent. Now, repent is a word that we don't really talk about that much, but it's a really important word when it comes to being filled with the Spirit. It's about letting go of the control that we have and giving God control. It's about turning from the things in our life that are filling us up and making us think we don't really need God and creating a place of emptiness for God to come into. Because the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is holy. He is holy. Holy means he is set apart. He is nothing like us. He's never sinned. He's never done evil. He has never done wrong. If we're going to invite a Holy Spirit to come and live in our hearts, we've all got some cleaning to do. And we've talked about, this passage has told us, hasn't it, about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. He's paid the price for our sin. He has forgiven us. So us seeking to be rid of our sin isn't a way that we can please God and draw closer to him, but it is a way that we can empty ourselves and show God that we're ready and we want to be filled with his spirit. If we're hiding things, including our sin from God, there'll be places that he can't get into. When the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus at his baptism, he comes as a dove. He comes, he rests on Jesus because Jesus had no sin. When he comes to the disciples at Pentecost, he comes as fire. The Holy Spirit comes to convict us of our sin and that's a really good thing. He doesn't condemn us. He reveals our sin to us, burns it away so that we can live in a holy relationship with God. 
Now, I have the exciting privilege of going to visit my parents this evening, spend a few days with them, and my dad has invited me to come out on one of his bike rides with him. And he's going to ride his bike, and I'm going to run along next to him on the cliffs. My brother's done this ride with him before. He's a much better runner than me, and he said it's hard work. So for the last few weeks, I have been going out running more because I really want to be able to keep up with my dad when we go out for this ride. I've been thinking about what I eat because I don't want too much baggage to carry when I'm on my run trying to keep up with my dad on his bike. And it's an imperfect but a bit of a picture about our walk with God and the Holy Spirit. My dad is not going to love me any less if I get one mile into the run, get a stitch and have to walk the rest of the way. It's not going to change our relationship. But I really want to be able to, I can't keep up with him, I mean, he's on a bike, but I really want to keep moving with him. I want to keep going. I want this experience to be one that we do together and that we enjoy together. And that's a bit of an imperfect picture of why we're trying to get rid of the sin in life, why we're trying to train to be more holy. It's not because God's going to love us anymore, the holier we are, but it is going to mean that we're able to keep up with his spirit. We're able to be in tune with him. We're able to keep listening to him and journeying with him at the rate that he's moving at, or probably quite a lot slower, but to keep moving with him and with his presence. And what we give our time and our energy to can just distract us from this. So I'm just asking Jesus almost every day, what is distracting me from you? What things in my life am I turning to instead of turning to you. And when he reveals something to me, I tend to now just fast from it for a while because then I feel like if I'm busy doing something, like just um, sitting down watching TV every night, I know I'm allowed to do that. It's not, everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. And so instead I just think, okay, I'm just not going to watch TV. And I ask God, how long shall I not watch TV for? And then at the end of that time, I ask him, okay, now what do you want me to do with watching TV? So we're just giving him our habits, giving him the things that distract us from him and asking him to show us. We, we don't want to be like this corrupt generation. We want our lives to look different. We want to be set apart for God. God, what are the things that are distracting me from you? Repent and ask him to fill you anew. So finally, we're just going to look at the third point that we see in this story is that the disciples respond to the Holy Spirit. He speaks they do exactly what he tells them to do. And the third way that as believers we can show God that we are ready for his spirit is when we hear or sense his spirit to respond and do what he says. One of the things that we've noticed in this passage that the spirit does is that he gives people boldness to speak God's word. So that's a prayer that I'm praying almost every day. Holy Spirit, please fill me with boldness to speak your word because we're witnesses, aren't we, of this goodness of God. He sent us and the spirit he's given us is to show the whole world what he's like. It's not just so we get to enjoy him together, although that's really good. He also wants the whole world to see what he's like. We see the disciples responding to the Spirit by the way that they love one another. They share everything they have together. And at the Oak, I feel like this is such a strong value that you have among you, that the gifts of the Spirit, that he gives you gifts to love and encourage and support and care for one another. I don't think it's a coincidence that after COVID, the Oak Church has come back just as strong and just as healthy. And I think that's because for all those months that we were apart, people were listening to the Spirit, sending one another text messages, dropping a meal 
all round to each other. Sometimes we can discount the gifts of the Spirit because we think, oh, that's too small, just sending an encouraging text. It's not a very big deal. But if the Spirit told you to do it, it is a big deal. And he's sending out these messages every day to his believers and teaching us how to be a body, how to love one another, responding and being obedient to that, honors and glorifies him. And then others look and they say, wow, it's incredible the way you guys love one another. And you can say, yeah, that's because the Holy Spirit lives in us and he tells us how to care for each other. Holy Spirit takes control. He takes over and he, but he also just gives little whispers and little nudges. And there's a psalm, Psalm 32, verses 8 to 9, that says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. And I say that to God. I say, I don't want to be like the horse or the mule that needs a big yank on the mouth to tell it which way to go. I want to be a child of God who just knows that his loving eye is upon me. And when he whispers, when he speaks, when he counsels me, I respond. So I'll just give you, as we finish, a couple of examples of this in our from our life right now. So um, a, a few weeks ago, I was meant to be going to pick my son Eli up from school. Um, and I normally leave at three o'clock. And uh, it was about five, 10 to five to three. And it just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, go now. Um, okay, I'm not normally early to school. Maybe there's you know somebody that he's got for me to encounter or a reason. So I went out the door and I got up my, halfway up my street, and I realized I was wearing my really uncomfortable flip-flops that I just wear around the house. And um, I thought, oh, I can't walk all the way to school in my flip-flops. It's going to really hurt my feet. And again, I just felt him say, don't go back. Keep going. So I was like, okay. So I wore my uncomfortable flip-flops, and I kept going up the street. And then when I'd got half, um, I was listening to a voice message, actually, from a friend who'd asked me to pray for her because she's not sleeping very well. So I was walking along praying for her. And then I met a parent from school who's always earlier than me. So I normally meet her. I'm coming back and she's going. I've never had a chat with her because I just go, hi. And she's off and I'm off that way. And um, I was walking along with her and we got chatting, asked her a bit about her life. And she mentioned to me she's not sleeping very well at night. So she's sleeping in the day instead. And I just thought, oh, no. (laughs) I've just been praying for this other friend about her sleep. I really think I need to offer to pray for this lady that I've just met and say, you know, can I pray for you? Can I pray for your sleep? And um, so we walked along. I prayed for her. She was so touched. She like grabbed my hand afterwards. I was like, thank you. That's so nice. And we talked a bit about why she doesn't believe in God and um, what's going on in her life. Um, And I saw her about two days later and she slept really well the night that I bumped into her. And so it was just a little thing, leaving the house five minutes early, not going back to change my flip-flops. My feet were fine, by the way. Thanks for asking. Um, (laughs) But, but Jesus was in those moments and just hearing his voice following that prompt led to me encountering this woman. And I still, I've, I still see her and say hi to her. We've not got any further in our chats, but I'm just going to keep praying for opportunities for me to share Jesus with her. And uh, I think it's just... Um, so the Spirit just loves it, and he wants to work through us. And we've talked about the signs and wonders. Do you remember we saw the apostles performing signs and wonders? And um, I'm just going to finish here just saying that I think maybe we've lost faith for God doing signs and wonders among us because we've prayed for one another so many times and maybe seen some healing, but nothing really big, nothing like Jesus. 
The disciples had faith for Jesus to do signs and wonders because they'd lived with Jesus. They'd seen him do it every day. But he was going out to the lost sheep. He wasn't just praying for his disciples. We don't hear of any healings of him praying for any of his disciples. He's going to the people that they walk past. He's going to their friends and their family members. He's going to the lost sheep of Israel. And I think one of the reasons that the church is losing the signs and wonders that we long for is because we need to get out on the streets. We need to start praying for people who don't yet know Jesus. The definition of a sign is that it points to something. When people see a sign, they go that way. If we want signs of Jesus and we want to attract people to him, we need to be praying for him to do miracles and healings among our non-believing friends, among the people we encounter outside of these walls. Chris is a chaplain at the Bulls, and he, around Christmas time, got a message from a, a man who works there saying he had a problem with his ankle. So Chris just texted back saying, I'll pray for you. And about half an hour later, got a message going, oh my goodness, what did you do? My ankle's fine. It's never got better like this. And this man was completely blown away. And then nothing's really come of that, but we keep praying for this guy. And then last week, uh, Chris came up on Chris's prayer calendar to pray for him. So he sent him a text saying, just praying for you today. What can I be praying for? And the man said, pray, pray for my wife. It was Monday when it was really hot. He was concerned about her health at work. So Chris said, great, I'll pray for your wife. And it got a message later on that day. My wife got sent home at lunchtime. Thank you so much for praying. God is showing this man signs that he is real and that he's present. He wants this man to be drawn to him. And it just takes a little, it's just a text message from Chris saying, I'm praying for you. What can I pray? It's not too much boldness. But God can use that when we step out and ask and pray for our non-believing friends. He wants to show them that he's here. So I'm just going to invite the band back up and just pray for us as we respond to God's word together today. Jesus, I just thank you for that simple question. Am I full of your spirit right now? Thank you, Jesus, that you just deal with us in the moment as we are right now. You're not worried about yesterday or tomorrow. You just want our hearts to be lifted and open to you in this moment. And Jesus, as we've thought together about how we can surrender our lives, repent of our sin, and respond to your spirit, I pray that in each of our hearts, you'd just be highlighting what do you want us to do in response to your word today. Please tell us what we can do to open our hearts and our lives more to you. We invite you here, Holy Spirit. We trust you that whatever you burn away is worthless anyway. We're hungry. We want more of you. And we long to see signs and wonders of your goodness to us displayed to those who don't yet know you. God, please fill us with your spirit and send us out to proclaim your name and glorify you in the world around us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.